0: a few years ago my family and i were on holidays down on the south coast and the house we were staying in was on the crookhaven river down there right right in front of the, uh, the river and it had this great balcony on the second story there that looked directly out onto the river with the sea to the right and the mountains to the left and i remember one afternoon it was a, it was a summertime and and this summer storm rolled in from the mountains and it was a, it was such a, a kind of a dramatic moment. I still remember it quite clearly. You could, you could see it coming in over the hills, big and black, you know, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, and then before long you couldn't see the hills at all anymore. And then gradually you could see less and less as the storm came along up the, up the river and then it hit us. And boy was it a storm. You know, Pounding rain, you know, flashes of lightning again, booming thunder. And you know, I don't know about you, but I love storms. And I just kind of stood there on the balcony, kind of reveling, in it. I loved the, the energy and the excitement and the power of the storms. Although I was kind of glad that I wasn't out in the river at the time, or, or even more so out in the, in the ocean as the storm progressed out to sea. It, that would have been, you know, frankly, probably terrifying. But it was such a, like a dramatic and memorable moment, and I suspect that most of us here have been in a situation like that where you're really just overwhelmed by the, the, the power and the awesomeness of a storm. That was a bit of a Psalm 29 moment for me on the balcony that day because Psalm 29 is about seeing the power of the storm and seeing how it points to the power of God who holds that storm in his hands. And the psalmist David As a result wants to give glory and praise to god that's what this psalm is about and it really breaks up pretty neatly into three sections and the first section uh, is really a call to praise god and and to give glory to god have a look at verses one and two with me ascribe to the lord you heavenly beings ascribe to the lord glory and strength Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Praise God, it's saying. Praising is about giving glory where it is due. Ascribing to God the glory that is due to him. And notice that in verse 1 there, this psalm calls even the heavenly beings, that the angels, to give glory to God. It reminds me of the, the book of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, where the, it, you, you're kind of given a scene of the throne room of God with countless thousands of majestic angels gathered around the throne of God. And every one of them bows down and worships and praises God because they know that he is the one who deserves all the glory. That's what verses 1 and 2 are about. It's, about. it's a call for even the heavenly beings to give glory to God because even in that glorious throne room of God, God is the one who deserves all the glory. But of course, as, as we read this, it's not the angels who need to be reminded of it. Verse 1 is talking to the angels, but it's directed towards us. We're the ones who are reading these words. Because if the heavenly beings who are so glorious themselves are called to give all the glory to god how much more should we ascribe to the lord the glory due to his name give god the glory that he alone deserves why is that something that we need to be told you know told to told to do why do we need to be reminded to do this we're surrounded by so much evidence of of the majesty and power and glory of God. His his fingerprints are everywhere around us, the the power of the storm, the majesty of the mountains, the raging of the sea, the the hugeness of, of the universe and the night sky all around us. We're surrounded by these things. And yet we still need to be told We still need to be reminded to give glory as we see that to give glory to god why is that well the bible tells us that it's because we have blinded ourselves to the glory of god we're still inspired by glorious things but that instinct for glory has been corrupted so that we don't give glory where it's due. Romans chapter 1 tells us exactly this, that humanity as a whole has blinded ourselves to the truth of God and we we suppress the truth of God because we want something else. We want the good life that God gives, but not the God who gives gives those things to us. And so as a result, we worship the, the created things, instead of the creator who made them that's romans chapter 1 verse 25 and in ancient times of course they had what we would call a more primitive way of doing this they would literally make gods out of the sun the moon the stars the heavenly bodies and worship them and and our kind of modern mindset mocks the 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 stupidity of that and rightly so but that doesn't mean that we have instead return the glory to where it belongs and give glory to God. No, we just find more sophisticated ways to be blind to the glory of God. Later on this week, I'm going to be up at Katoomba for the uh missionary conference that's up there the church missionary society conference that's up there and i'm sure that at some stage during the week i'm going to find myself looking out over the the mountains and the valleys there at katoomba which i'm sure we've all done right and, and kind of the the majestic views that you can see there and i know that kind of on the on the world scale our blue mountains are kind of barely hills but they're still impressive aren't they they're still majestic they still inspire or and people tourists come from all over the world just to to see those but there are different ways that you can stand there and be wowed be awed by the majesty of it you can just see the 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 years and the forces that have formed them the, the movement of the tectonic plates and the and the erosion of the river and that's true or you can acknowledge the god whose hands have formed them and give glory where it's due and so that's one sense in which we need to when we see magnificence in creation to give glory where it's due when we are wowed by the the majesty around us to give glory to the one who made it and maybe, maybe you do need that reminder today that when you are out in God's world that he has made to let yourself be awed and to give the glory to God, but I wonder if there's another level where we even more need to make sure that we give glory where it belongs and, and and to make sure that we value the right kind of glory because on a day-to-day basis, how much more do we tend to value the glory that we give and receive to each other you know to to, to be to admire and be admired by the people around us and the glory that kind of that comes from that—the glory of achievement, the glory of financial success, the glory of physical beauty. These kind of things all compete with the glory of God. And we, we, and we don't properly give God the glory because we're too busy giving and receiving other kinds of glory from each, from each other. And the glory that we give, the glory that we value changes how we live and what we live for what is the glory that fills your mind and that you live for is it the glory that belongs only to god ascribed to the lord the glory that is due to his name that's the first section The second section in verses three to nine moves really to the reason that david the psalmist wants to praise and glorify god and that is the overwhelming power of god and as I said, this psalm uses the thunderstorm as kind of just a glimpse of how powerful the voice of God is. And you can imagine, like I was standing on the balcony on that holiday, David standing and watching the storm as it comes in from the sea and over the hills and forests of Lebanon and then out into the, to the desert. Let me read verse, from verse 3 down to verse 9. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon leap like a calf, Sirion like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord strikes with flashes of lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the desert. The Lord shakes the desert of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks and strips the forest bare and in his temple all cry glory. That storm that I described earlier that I saw down on the south coast there was just kind of a tame uh, example of the the kind of powerful and destructive storms that can wreak such havoc and cause such damage and that we've seen a fair bit of lately, haven't we? I've got a friend who lives on the Gold Coast, and on Boxing Day, you know that storm that went through there on Boxing Day. Uh, he sent me some photos of some of the damage that was done there. Uh, huge trees completely uprooted, a crane on a building top destroyed. That even sank my friend's tinny, which I don't think is high on the list of of priorities, but that's what he cared about in the moment. And even that storm was really only small compared to like Cyclone Jasper and some of the other huge storms that we see going on around the the place and around the world, and that leave us, even with all our technology and our human strength and and ability to, we think, control the world around us, our ingenuity, they leave us powerless. We're completely at the mercy of storms like that. And it's an important reminder, isn't it, that as much as we think as humans, as much as we think we're in control of the world, we are not. And even just the weather can completely turn everything upside down, sometimes literally. And the power of the storm, David is saying, is just a tiny glimpse of the power of the God who commands that storm. And it's interesting, did you notice here how David compares the booming of the thunder to the powerful voice of God? The voice of God is is such a significant theme in the Bible and the connection between the voice of God and the exercise of his power and his will. It's the voice of God, of course, that called creation into being. God spoke and it was. Let there be light. God's voice is powerful. And it's also interesting, I think, here, how the psalm glories simply in the power of God's voice because we often dwell and, and, and care a lot about the goodness of god and of his words sometimes as if god needs to justify himself to us you know we we worship god because he meets our standards of goodness and there are plenty of psalms that do speak of the goodness of god's words and the things that he says like psalm 19 and and, and the goodness of god is such a huge theme in the bible His the, the words that God speaks are good because God is good. And in fact, that, that song that we sang just a moment ago, Jesus, strong and kind. But the focus of this psalm is just on the strength, really on the power of God's voice. That God is worthy of our praise and worship because he's unimaginably powerful. Let me read verse 9 again. The voice of the Lord twists the oaks, and strips the forests bare and in his temple all cry glory those who are on the side of god who are in his temple and have drawn near to worship they can even see the terrifying power of god even the destructiveness of god's voice and give praise and glory to him so we praise god because his voice is powerful But there's more in the third section uh, speaks in the last two verses verses 10 and 11 of god's powerful rule in both judgment and salvation the reference to judgment is there in verse 10 as it speaks of the flood have a look at verse 10 the lord sits enthroned over the flood the lord is enthroned as king forever now the only other place in the bible where this word flood occurs is in that most famous flood of of the noah's ark fame and that whole situation begins in genesis 6 with these words about the corruption of humanity it says this in genesis 6 verse 5 you got that on the slide there yep The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. And it goes on to say that as a result, God said, I'm going to wipe humanity off the face of the earth and start again with just one man, Noah. That was what the flood was about. It was God's judgment on the wickedness of man. And so when it says here in Psalm 29 that God sits enthroned over the flood, it's talking about God's rule in judgment. That God exercises exercises his power over the world in judgment. Now, that's probably an aspect of God's power that we don't particularly like to think about we don't like to think about god's judgment except perhaps sometimes on those people over there who deserve it but can you imagine say a police force that was powerless to enforce the law or to uphold the will of the courts the judgment of the courts that would be both pathetic and terrifying at the same time and sometimes we see that in nations around the world that are either too weak or too unstable to actually uphold the law and it's not a pretty sight everyone is just kind of at the mercy of the biggest bully with the biggest stick when when there is not power to uphold judgment it's it's not a good thing and all the complaints about why do the wicked prosper that the psalms are full of and that most people cry to god at at some point why do the wicked prosper those complaints would be pointless they would fall on deaf ears if God was not powerful in judgment if he didn't have the power to uphold judgment and that's what verse 11 is telling us the Lord sits enthroned over the flood of his judgment but not only is God powerful in judgment he's also powerful in salvation and you see that in the last verse verse 11 The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. Now, this is kind of the climax, really, of of the psalm, that because of his power, God's people are blessed with peace. That God's power is directed towards our good, towards peace. That even his power in judgment, in fact, you could say because of his power in judgment because you can't have peace without judgment as long as evil exists you can't have you can't have peace without the power to judge evil i don't know if you've thought about that before although that becomes infinitely more complicated when the evil is is within us right because god's powerful judgment can't just be a strong arm and a a big sword or it could be but there'd be no one left to enjoy the peace But God found a way, at the risk of sounding corny, it's the power of love, the love that led Jesus to the cross to take the judgment that we deserve and the power that could not hold him in the grave, that death couldn't hold him in the grave. And and so now Jesus stands as both the enforcer of God's judgment and the bringer of God's peace in salvation through forgiveness and so on that last day when Jesus returns he will do both of those things judgment and salvation and in Acts chapter 10 the apostle Peter when he's speaking to Cornelius the centurion and his family he speaks of exactly this he he says in in Acts 10 verse uh, 42 and 43 Jesus is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead all the prophets testify about him That everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Judgment and salvation through forgiveness. That on that day when Jesus returns, he will be both judge and saviour. But only one of those things to any given person. Either judge or saviour. And that's why Psalm 29 and verse 9, it's those in his temple who cry glory you see that they're all in his temple cry glory it's those who have drawn near to god to, to know him to take refuge in him who will glory at his power in both judgment and salvation because we know the refuge from his judgment that comes through the salvation that jesus has won for us by his blood and so do you notice that progression that, that we see throughout the psalm in what we praise God for? It's actually the same progression that we see throughout the Bible. God's, it begins God's mighty power in creation in the storm. That should bring forth praise to God from us. God's fingerprint in creation. They should call us to praise him. We'd be fools not to. And so we should praise God. Whenever we are awed by the power and the the awesomeness of the world around us, by the power of the storm, by the the majesty of the mountains, the raging of the sea, the beauty of the clouds. Just yesterday I was looking out my window and just seeing just how amazing it is just to look at clouds sometimes. Uh, The the beauty of the, the night sky, the hugeness of the universe. We'd be fools to see that and not give glory the God who made it give glory where it's due and so next time you're in a storm like David describes here take that as an opportunity stand there and just marvel at the awesome power and majesty of the God who controls that storm that is a reason to give praise and glory to God but praise reaches its climax when we see the cross and the power of his love that he shows us there and that progression that i mentioned is exactly what we see again in the heavenly throne room in the book of revelation at the end of the bible the 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 heavenly creatures the angels gathered around the throne of god in god's throne room praising and honoring god because He is the creator because he creates and sustains all things but they don't stop there they then go on to praise the lamb who was slain because by his blood he purchased for God people from every nation those two go together and they must and isn't it wonderful that as we sing our praises to God that the saints who have gone before us have given us such fantastic songs to praise him with that do exactly this as well In just a moment, we're going to sing a great old hymn, How Great Thou Art. And I'm sure many of us know the lyrics, but let me uh, remind you of some of them. Because it does exactly this that I've been saying. The first verse, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works your hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, your power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my saviour God to thee how great thou art how great thou art that's praising God for his glory in the power of the storm in the in the hugeness of the, the the night sky the brilliance of the stars but then it continues on in verse 3 and when I think that God his son not sparing sent him to die I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin then sings my soul my savior god to thee how great thou art how great thou art see both his power in creation and his power in salvation is what we are called to praise and glorify and honor god for isn't that a wonderful thing that we can do we're going to do that now as we sing that i'm going to pray as the sand comes up let's pray heavenly father we do ask that you'll help us to praise and honor you as we should we we, are, you are worthy of all praise as the creator and sustainer of everything around us and even more so father as the redeemer redeemer and savior through the blood of jesus and we pray that as we see your world and particularly as we look to the cross of jesus that you'll help us to give honor and glory where it is due and we pray these things in jesus name amen let's stand and sing